How's it going? It's going great. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Why? I don't, I'm just always doing fantastic. Always? Always. Just in general. Given all the situations of people in the world, okay. I believe that I have it pretty great, and I assume you do as well. Where we live, health, yeah. all that stuff. So in comparison to how things could be, I figure things are fantastic. Wow. Cool, man. Do you feel the same way? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know how, 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 how deep we want to go in on this call. So this, well, this is usually the light joking. This is yeah, the I don't joking know if we're section, turning so. into like a deep philosophical <laughs> podcast here. Okay. All right. I'm enjoying a Topo Chico right now. Are you familiar with Topo Chico? I'm not. No. Oh, wow. It is the most, I've had several people agree with me on this as well. Most carbonated beverage out there. Mineral water, carbonated. You're holding it up to the camera. Yeah. I mean, I used to drink soda all the time. Don't drink soda very much anymore. Don't drink Coke at all. Yeah. And started drinking Topo Chico. I don't know when, but I just, it's really good. Is it flavored? Nope. I can't, I can't do flavored carbonated water. Because to me, when you have flavor, like it's not real. It's like halfway there. Like there's like somewhat of a taste. And I'm just like, well, if you're going to give me the taste, I want the whole thing. Don't give me like half taste. You're an all or nothing type of guy. Yes. I am not big into the carbonation. Okay. What do you enjoy, Dave, besides your life in the grand <laughs> scheme of things? Generally speaking. Hmm. I'll tell you. So I stopped drinking Coke and Pepsi and all sodas years ago. But my one vice is every day I get a caramel frappe from McDonald's. Okay. So other than that, I drink water, straight, straight tap water, and then a sugar-filled pretty much dessert for breakfast. Oh, that's a, that's that's a breakfast drink. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nothing better. I take that back. There are things better. But Generally speaking, spe- <laughs> there's nothing Getting better. a nice frappe in the morning while you sit down and, you know, hammer out some work. It's great. Do you have a daily daily drink or or ritual in the way you eat? Usually around dinner, I'll have a I'll have a Topo Chico with dinner. Okay. And then maybe one after the children go to bed. You unwind after a long day with a Topo Chico? Mhm. Mhm. Okay, so today, yeah, we're running the interview with Miranda. Miranda, yes, this was a good one. They're all good. Yeah, I think that's our intro to every one of them. This is a good one. Yeah, no, this was great connecting with Miranda. I think it's really awesome what she's doing now. Once again, don't no no spoilers, but pretty impactful. And I remember her from high school. She was wonderful, caring person, and I think it was cool to see how that part of her followed her in her journey and like where, what she's doing now. Yeah. All right. Here's the tie-in. Yeah, I got it. please tie it so in. So hearing her story and the people that, that she helps and works with, mm-hmm. I'm just reminded that much more about how fantastic I think I have it, you know, in comparison. Depends on how you judge what, what makes things fantastic. You know, are you judging on material stuff, on wealth? You know, and maybe you're good at everything. That's amazing. Good for you. You're basically, what you're saying is that you're perfect is what, is what you're trying to tell the good people of the class of 2001, Dave Roush, perfection. That we could name that the, this episode's title. Are you done? <laughs> I'm good. Okay, so before we hit play, I just want to remind everyone that you are Paul C. Fuentes, and I'm David Roush. This is 20 Year Reunion. And if you haven't subscribed already, you should do it now, because we've got mm-hmm. new sweet episodes coming out every week. 
And if you haven't circled October 16th, 2021 on your calendar, do it now. Save the date for our actual 20-year reunion. All right. Is it time? Can we can we play the Miranda episode? I think it's episode? more than time. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Miranda, how are you? I'm good. I'm really well. Really, really happy to be here. Really excited to talk to you guys. Can't believe it's been 20 years since we've graduated. I don't know who hit the fast forward button on our life, but I need them to slow it down just a little. <laughs> Very true. So before we before we get to 20 years later, let's let's go back. Describe yourself in high school. Who are you? What what was your personality? What were you into? The best description I could give, I always describe myself as like the Lisa Turtle from Saved by the Bell. Like I was this little black girl who had grown up in a predominantly white area trying to figure myself out had a decent group of friends, was fairly smart, wasn't necessarily like in a group of anything. So I wouldn't say like, oh, I was an athlete or, oh, I was a dancer or, oh, I was this or I was that. I was just kind of trying to figure out like what life was going to look like and what it was supposed to look like and, you know, feeling connected and disconnected all at the same time. Hmm. Wow. I think that's the first TV reference we've had in a, in a description, but I, <laughs> I like it. If you have to go to yeah. a show, say by the bell, that's a, that's a good, good way to go. But like the follow-up question is like, who did you date in high school, aka who's Screech? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know that I dated Screech. I think that the two people <laughs> that I dated most of high school would be very offended if either one of them knew that I would refer to them as Screech. But I dated Aaron Burns, like part of our latter years. I dated Jason Reeder, our earlier years. Both were fairly athletic, both were fairly popular. Again, would probably not identify as a screech on either side. So were you involved in any extra either sports or activities? Yeah. So freshman year, I played badminton, which was the year that we won state competition. And it was great. And I was a band girl all four years of high school. I think my dad is still disappointed that I didn't play in college. And then I did, what else did I do? I did like peer mediation and things where I could be vocal. I did like mu alpha theta and like math honor societies and things like that. So again, I kind of bounced all over the place, not really fitting in one particular category of an- or another outside maybe of band. My senior year, I got to be drum major, one of I think there was maybe one other girl who had done it before I did. So that was really cool. What instrument in band? Flute. Flute. That's what I was yeah. asking. Yeah. I have a question about peer mediation. Did you mediate any peers? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think okay, <laughs> I did peer mediation too. And like, I don't think I, like we learned the whole process and like listened to yeah. each other and like, but we never did it. I don't think, I don't recall ever doing it. However, I do still have the t-shirt. I wow. have the shirt, but I don't recall ever mediating anybody. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Uh, maybe I thought maybe I didn't make the cut like they, everyone else did, but Paul, like you really aren't that good at it. So when you, when you asked the, when you asked the question about what instrument she played, me knowing nothing about band, I was like, well, she said she was a drum major. So obviously drums. <laughs> <laughs> which, which you guys laugh, but I'll bet there's people listening right now that had the same assumption that I had. Probably. That didn't know the difference. So congratulations on the drum major, but not playing drums. Thanks. 
So you mentioned in your in your description, you mentioned kind of being being Lisa, being you know black in a school that is primarily white. How did that feel, or like, did you constantly notice, or was it not really? Like, I don't have that perspective, so I'm curious what it was like for you. No, yeah, I was hyper aware. I think my family was the first black family in the district, not the high school district, but the elementary district that I came out of before going to Willowbrook. So. I was always hyper aware that I was black, that I was different, that I was kind of raised. I was not kind of raised. I was raised in a multi-generational household. So I had grandparents who had come through Jim Crow and all sorts of other things where they were very intentional about, you know, making me aware of what I might have been called and how I might need to present myself and how I might need to have to work harder in order to achieve or be seen or do, be heard or do different things. and. I knew I was different. It impacted my self-esteem, my identity on what was pretty and what wasn't pretty and how I was supposed to look and how I wasn't supposed to look. Everything from the way that my hair was to things that excited me to books I wanted to read to classes that, you know, what does history cover and things of that such that can, again, be very touchy situations in times like these, but definitely conversations worth having. And so it definitely shaped who I was and how I saw the world, just my awareness of different things and different experiences was definitely shaped by the lifestyle that I had. Am I grateful for it? Yeah. I know that my grandparents and my parents worked hard to get me into an area where I could be raised and could receive an education that was valuable that doesn't compare to perhaps what would have happened if they would have stayed on the west side of Chicago. I'm sure my life experience would have been much different. But at 37, nearly 38, and looking back and comparing what life would have been like with more of my peer group looking like me, it definitely would have changed the trajectory of my life. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So you said you were hyper aware, right? And especially, yeah. you you talked about looking and see like, what should I look like? Should I try to look, you know, more like this or books I want to read? So that's all interesting. Did you feel... Like other people were hyper aware too, or was it more internal? I don't know that anybody else ever paid attention. I do think that it it was my own hyper awareness because it was my identity, because I didn't get to take it off. I think that maybe a part of the awareness of difference in race happened very unconsciously, right? Just in in who we chose to take the homecoming or you know, who we invited to this place or that place or what our social circles look like, maybe outside of athletics or, you know, sports or other extracurriculars that might have caused those relationships to be built. I don't necessarily think that it was something at the forefront of people's minds of like, oh, well, she's black and I'm not. So I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do that. I don't think that that's what it was. However, I don't think that there was a lot of conversation around it either. I don't think that it was anything outside of Black History Month. I don't think that there was anything outside of like Steppers, which I wasn't a part of either. But that was like the one Black club that Willowbrook hosted. And so like, if you didn't fit there, then you weren't Black enough to be Black. And if you, you know what I mean? Like just, it was, yeah, yeah. it was little things like that where, again, I don't think that it was anybody's intentionality to diminish race. I just think that even in times like now, sometimes it's easier to just not address it because things seem to be fine. So let's not light a fire where there isn't already something brewing. 
to your point of, of it not being talked about, Miranda, I think that's the interesting thing about 2020, right? Is like many of the people, I mean, I can't speak for everyone at Willowbrook. I can speak for myself. I wasn't racist, like in terms of like thinking about people of other races as less than me, but I also wasn't cognizant of thinking about other people having a different life experience than me and like listening to them and hearing them talk about that or being interested in that. Now, I also wasn't interested in a lot of other people, period. I was very wrapped in myself as a high school student, you know, thinking from my worldview, et cetera. And like that comes with age to a certain point. And I can't say maybe the maybe our teachers were trying to have us have that conversation. I I don't I don't remember it, but like I also don't remember a lot from high school. But like it just wasn't done. And I think that that's one of the things about today that the different perspective, right? It's like not just about not being a racist yourself, but also not ignoring that life is different for those of different of a different race. Correct. So, anyways, that's what when you said that kind of like I've been reflecting a lot about that lately as well. Let's change gears a little bit. What's your fondest memory from high school? Oh gosh. I think my fondest memory from high school, goodness, it had to be, I don't know. I have a lot of really good high school memories. You can give, give me a couple. A few. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right, We're not going to so, eliminate you. Good, good memory. You get, you get one memory. That's it. No, I'm just kidding. I know. I was trying to think, because when you think like fondest, you think like, what's the greatest thing? I don't know that I have like an ideal greatest thing, but I do have good memories from high school. So part of which was Candace Lobo and I were really good friends in high school. I mean, like thick as thieves. And she had a car and I did it. And at that point of high school, I think I was dating Jason Reeder and she had a crush on somebody who shall remain nameless. And so we would follow the basketball team. Like We would show up at Hensdale Central and we were at all sorts of places. I remember she and I went, they had to be, play- I think they were playing stag. So if anybody knows how far stag is. Yeah, that was a was, tournament. That was a winter tournament. Was, and it was ridiculous. Yeah. And so she and I were in her, I think she had a Buick, like it was a old school, like big old car. And we have taken ourselves all the way to stag. And could not figure out how to get home. And I remember like, that. I remember you coming to stack. Drive. It was like, but it was one of the best high school memories ever. And I was like, oh, how am I going to tell my dad? We are on Lakeshore Drive. Girl. Like, we are nowhere close to where we're supposed to be. How did we get all the way over here chasing behind the basketball team? Like, why did we not just follow the bus? Like, where? But that was 16, 17-year-old common sense at the time. Yeah, yeah. of like, no, we're going to make it look like we got it all together. Long before the days of everybody having a phone and being able to pop an address and a GPS, we had like printed out MapQuest directions that were always wrong. But I think we spent a year following the basketball team between then and the summer tournaments and like travel. Like we were everywhere that we probably had no business being (laughs) just following up behind high school crushes. It was great. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Life before... Google Maps on your phone <laughs> sucked. I'm so bad at directions and I was constantly lost. What else do you remember from high school? I have really fond memories of marching band. It was a blessing and a curse. Like game days were great. Football half times were awesome. Even playing in basketball games in the stands, that stuff was great. What was not, however, great about it was that practice started smack in the middle of like, the top of hellish August and it was a million and 42 degrees 
And we were like across Highland and that little like grassy area over there. First of all, again, let's let's not miss the 800 pound elephant in the room. I'm already a nice, warm, brown complexion. (laughs) And by the time the school year started after marching band and being outside in the sun for a kajillion, I was like 19 shades darker only on like my head and my like elbows down. It was the worst, ugliest, like, oh, and then come for registration and take pictures. No, ma'am, I'm four different colors. Like whose idea is this? (laughs) But outside of that, it was, Martian Band was great. We had Mr. Gilmore who always had something slick to say and, you know, would tell us things like, don't just sit there with your teeth in your mouth. Like they don't come out. Like where where are they supposed to go? What what else am I supposed to do with my teeth? Were you were you pro? Were you pro, Mr. Gilmer? I was pro, Mr. Gilmer. Okay. There's not a, a lot of gray. So There's you either loved him or you didn't. You know what I mean? Like he was. He's definitely like either you got him or you don't. Got it. I guess <laughs> you were yeah. drum major. So if you were, I guess that would have been a that would have been. Who did you hang out with in band? Who were your band people? Oh goodness. So I remember hanging out with. Lizzie Earl. Lizzie Earl. Who also played flute. Flute, yep. I I remember hanging out with Andy Zocher, who played trombone at the time and had like an amazing trombone solo by our senior year that I was always really jealous of because no flute is ever going to get a marching band solo. Like, who's going to hear you? I remember Jamie, who is now Andy's wife, was also in band. I hung out with Lisa Kurtz, who played oboe at the time. Like, the band people were my people. Who was one of your, your favorite teachers? Without question, Mr. White. Like when I think Willowbrook, I think Mr. White. I think of him walking around in his letterman jacket that was like three sizes too small at the time <laughs> that apparently he still has. That <laughs> is even smaller now than it was then. <laughs> or he's shr- larger now than it no, was No, it just shrinks. He's washing like, it probably. I, I'm sure that's what it is. What'd you have him? He... Taught my speech tech class. Speech tech. Yeah. PowerPoint. PowerPoint. Yeah. He, yeah. He was the intro to speech tech. And ironically, now I kind of have come full circle and I'm looking to shift careers in going into public speaking. And so I think very, a whole lot of that goes back to me being what a sophomore in high school and him counting the ums when we would speak. I still do that to people like, do you realize how many times you said um? <laughs> and it's it's those little nuggets that he he put in in that class and just his presence in the school period of people who never had him as a teacher still know like just the energy and the spirit that he had of that undying love that happens when you graduate from Willowbrook. So you graduated. Where do you go from there? Yeah, I I graduated. I went to U of I in Urbana-Champaign. I went in pre-law dead set that I was going to be the next Claire Huxtable and was going to marry a doctor and solve all of the world's problems in 30 minutes. I was convinced I could pull it off. And that went out the window very quickly. I ended up changing gears. I got a degree in communications. I went on to get a master's in social work from Aurora University, interned in juvenile detention and juvenile probation. And Fast forward to now, I run a mental health crisis line for the state of Illinois. Wow. All right, that's a lot of fast forward. Hold on. We could we got to unpack that a little bit. <laughs> what was your first job? I worked at, at Walmart in 
high school. I worked at Walmart our junior year, our senior year. I came back for summers while I was away at U of I. And by the time I left there, they were trying to convince me not to go back to school and to get on their management track and become a store manager at Walmart. Walmart off of 83? Yes. Ironically, people who worked with me then still work there. So people don't leave. It is a real thing. They are still there. (laughs) And what I can say is that their managerial team makes really good money. So I think that they're, they were really used to like convincing people of like, Hey, well, we could offer you X amount of dollars. Needless to say, my daddy was not going for that. (laughs) Like, absolutely (laughs) not. I don't care how much money they offer you. You are going back to school. I didn't really work while I was in school. I didn't have to work while I was in grad school. I was, my parents will tell you I was spoiled. I will tell you that I was very blessed. Depends on who you're talking to. Tomato, and tomato, then, sure. Exactly. You know, just depends on what side of the story you want to tell. But then, so I graduated, got my master's in social work and went right into doing therapy with DCFS clients. I worked in a residential setting in Elgin for just shy or just over three years. So you're going in pre-law and obviously you're, your heart moved to a different kind of way. Can you think of, you know, how that happened? So down in Champaign, I got involved mentoring through Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Champaign County. And you, you hadn't done that up. You hadn't done anything with them up. No. Okay. So how did you find, how did you find that down there? I knew that I wanted to do some type of volunteer work. And I knew that I wanted to work with children. I knew even going in pre-law, I wanted to work in juvenile court. And so everything around it moved everything in my thought process was to work with children who were involved with the justice system. So I had always had that mindset. Yeah. So where did you know, sorry, I want to, I want to hear about that, but you know, where, where did, where did that come from? I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I don't have, I don't know where that came from. Yeah. And you, you came from a multi-generational family and I think you had a lot of care perhaps. I did. I had probably too much care depending (laughs) on which way this conversation goes. I could probably tell you that there were some times where I was like, whoa, now, like, everybody calm down. Everybody calm down. And but so in some I ways, you're, you're starting to provide that for those people, right? Other Correct. people that may not have had that. Correct. And I, I, do, I do really think that it was a gift for me to have so many people who really did look out for me. And so I think that a part of me wanted to be impactful in the lives of children. And I, and I thought that the way to do that was to keep them out of jail. And so I felt like the way to do that was not with adults, because by the time adults hit the justice system, who they are and what they want to be and their thoughts around things are already pretty set in stone of what they're going to believe in or what they're going to do or not do. So I looked for ways in that community that I could volunteer and that I could be involved and that I could be impactful. And I ended up volunteering with Big Brothers Big Sisters. And they were paired with the elementary schools down there. And so I started going to the schools and working with the kids that were assigned to me. And I thought, man, these kids need help long before they need an attorney. Like if they're getting to me at the point to where they're reaching out for some counsel at that level, I've already missed my opportunity. Like, 
who goes up, who, who comes back and says like, oh, my attorney changed my life. Well, maybe if changing your life kept you out of jail, but like, is that really the impact that I want to have in the way that I wanted to change people's lives? And so I started looking at sociology and social work and really looking at the way that I could have a deeper level impact quicker and decided that social work was probably the way to go. And then ended up with some of the heaviest caseloads that I could have ever imagined. What do you mean by heavy? So I worked in residential. And so by the time a child who's in DCFS care gets to residential, they've gone through family placement, they've gone through regular foster placement, they've gone through specialized foster placement, and now they're housed in in a house or in a building of some sort with the kids who can't be placed in some regular type of home setting. So they've been through numerous different living situations. They usually come with pages upon pages of trauma and of background experiences. A lot of them have pretty severe mental health issues. And so being 25, 26, it was a lot. That was in Elgin? That was in Elgin. Mm-hmm. So where, where were you living at the time? I was living in Oakbrook, still with my family. And it was a crazy drive. And most of my clients were not from Elgin. So it was a lot of travel. It was a lot of learning very quickly how different Illinois is depending on where you're at and what life looks like depending on where you're at and what you have access to and different things like that. It was definitely more of a hands-on experience. There's nothing that any social work program can teach you that is going to prepare you for that. Yeah. So you're, you're 25, 26, you're doing all this driving. You've got these, like, as you described, like a heavy caseload, I mean, heavy cases. As a 25, 26 year old, like, how do you not burn out? How do you find balance? You don't. <laughs> you don't. Which is why around my third year there, I ended up pregnant and I had to leave because I didn't have enough to give to the caseload that I had and then go home and be a decent enough parent to my child. And I kept telling myself, like, you're going to create this kid that you're treating if you don't unplug somewhere. Oh, wow. And so I had to leave. I had to step back and do something different because there just wasn't enough of me. And if I was going to sacrifice something, it couldn't be my own child. And so I transitioned out of that, stayed in social work, but transitioned out of that type of work because there really were no days off. Like there were times where my clients were suicidal or my clients were homicidal or my clients were psychotic or they tried to set the house on fire or, you know, they decided to take a tree branch to my car or threaten to stab me with a fork. I mean, like all sorts of, yeah, the stories I could tell. And then one day I woke up like, yeah, this isn't going to work. I've heard from, from people in your situation and, and you can verify, but feels like there's a lot of, you're in a lot of situations where there's only so much you can do, right? Like yeah. you're kind of working with the system at that point. Like, unfortunately, you just can't make a ton of difference in every person that you, you know, ideally you could, but you can't always. On the flip side though, is there, is there someone you, you feel like you were really able to help and kind of a success story for, for what you were able to accomplish? Yeah. So there are a couple of girls who at that time had to be, goodness, 12, 13 years old. 
and now have got to be 25, 26, who have found me on social media and have grown to be just amazing young women and have really, really overcome so much of just, so much of life is being able to play the hand that you're dealt. But as a child, you don't know that. And working with children who have severe trauma, the work in that moment can feel very unsuccessful because you really don't know. It's kind of like being a parent. Like you don't know how much of this you're getting. There are oftentimes as a mom where I'm like, are you listening? And so there were often times where I was like, I wonder if I'm doing anything. And so to look back at them now and to see how they've grown, they can tell me things that I said to them at 12, 13 years old. And I was like, I said that? Like, are you, right? I'm glad you wrote that down. Like, that's good. I'm gonna write a book and I'm gonna put it in a book because <laughs> I don't remember saying that. Like, dang. That's great. Yeah. Um, and so it's nice to know that sometimes it takes years for the work that you put in to really hit the surface. That's a great way of looking at it. And before asking the question, I hadn't thought of it that way either, that you wouldn't really know in a lot of cases, you know, what kind of difference you were making because it wasn't as black and white, like, oh, suddenly whatever problems you had are all gone and, and right. here's a loving family. And, you know, it's, it's the end of the movie, like the Hollywood ending. I, I imagine you didn't see that, right? And so the real impact is, yeah. is years later. So it's not going to be from, from one extreme to the other necessarily, like, but if you can kind of move them the right direction, it may seem small then, but over time, like that few degree correction can really play out over years. Just like when, especially when you're dealing with youth, kids are going to make dumb mistakes. And, and also like the things that you give them at that age, sometimes they don't open that gift that you gave them until they're older. So you stepped back from, from the very heavy social work to focus on your firstborn. Were you, were you still working or did you stay home with him for a while? No, I was still working. So I, I stepped back from the heavy social work to go into crisis work. So I went into crisis work working for a 24-hour crisis line, a behavioral health and mental health crisis line that took calls for the entire state of Illinois. It is now the crisis line that I run. So 10 years later, I'm now the director of that line. And it has evolved into different things and has now picked up also adults, whereas it used to just be children and adolescents. But as crazy as it sounds, is nowhere near as crazy as doing it in person every day. And now I've missed the in-person interaction. Are you, I know we're, we're forward, fast forward now, you know, 10 years later, you're kind of running the center and, and, and directing everything. Are you still involved kind of on a one-on-one -on -one with basis or are you just sort of overseeing a team that, that has that personal interaction? Both. So I'm the director of the program, but I also am intentional about getting on the phones and answering calls. And there's a part of me that's always going to be a social worker and always wants to do the work. So at least a couple times a week, I get on the phones and I and it, it keeps me grounded and it reminds me of why I went into the work. And at the same time, it's still all on the phone. So there's another part of me that is launched a mentoring program and is working very closely with my church to do some in-person stuff, which is an area that isn't really covered a whole lot in ministry of, you know, mental health and spiritual health partnering together and looking at what that looks like. Because I do really miss having that one-on-one -on -one interaction and being able to come back and say, so how'd it work out? Wow. So, so right now you're spending most of your time still involved with social work between the combination mm -hmm. of, of the job, right? And then the other 
programs that you've set up through your church, mm-hmm. taking care of two kids as well. Yeah. So <laughs> stay busy. I got it. When you look at how you were raised in high school, you know, and looking at how you want to raise your boys when they're in high school, like what, what do you think there? Like, do you want to have the same kind of experience, different? That's so hard. It It's so hard because I think as parents, we're always just trying to do the best that we can. Absolutely. And so, you know, giving myself the grace to know, like, you're going to mess up some stuff. <laughs> you, you are going to, especially at, so I don't know that we ever said this earlier, but I was married and divorced. So that is a whole different spin on how I raised my kids because my parents are still married and they were married from the time that I was two. And so even in that, in, in teaching them as two boys of what life looks like, there just are things that I can't teach them because I'm not a boy. You know, like I can't, I tell people all the time, like, I couldn't teach them how to pee standing up. I don't pee standing up. Like, I don't know how this works. (laughs) So, like, there just are certain things that I can't give them because I am not equipped. But And you can't, that's not something you Google either. Like, let's just be very clear and honest. That's That's not a Google search. Yeah. Let me pull in my dad, somebody who was a professional at this, because I am not. Professional. <laughs> Been doing this far longer than you would ever imagine, kid. Let me yeah, let him absolutely. tell you how to make it work. But I think that happens even as they're getting older and as they're preparing for high school. I do think that I, one of the key differences, I think, in the way that I was raised in high school, again, as as great as my family was about conversations around certain things there were also certain things that they just weren't going to talk about like nope you're not going to do that you're too young for that we're not you're not going to have this oh no you can't go there and it was one of those where I was always like well why and I never really got an answer like I had real old school parents and it was always kind of like well because I said so I was like that really isn't an answer like I, I get it I heard you the first time but I'm just trying to get an understanding of like why you said so? Like, you, you got to know something that I don't know. And so I think a part of the way that I raise my kids, and especially my oldest as he's preparing to go into high school, is really just having really, really open conversations of like, what is happening? Like, what do you feel? What's scarier? What's not scarier? You overheard this happening and what was going on there without trapping him into this box where he has to just do what I say because eventually I'm not going to be there to tell him what to do. And so good point. in those times where I'm not there for whatever reason, be it he's old enough to be out on his own or God forbid something happens to me and I, I'm literally no longer here. Have I equipped him enough to be a young man on his own? Again, a part of it is the social worker in me. And the other part is just, and that we've had those talks and have validated some of those things that need to be validated in order to grow into a strong enough identity of who they want to be and not who I want them to be. Because I think that for a lot of us, we grew up to be what our parents told us we should be. We went to school because people told us you should get a degree. You know, you should get married. You should have this. You, this should be, you should have accomplished this or you should have accomplished that. And few people really stopped to really, really expound on what do you want to be when you grow up? Because maybe that's not a doctor or a lawyer or a whatever. And P.S. It can change. You don't, a lot of people don't Correct. have that figured out at 18, right? Right. Or maybe they know they want to be a lawyer. 
only to find out later that they don't or that there's Correct. there's a better path. So yeah, what's something that you know now that you wish you would have known when you were in high school? That I am enough. And I know it's very, again, very social worker-ish, but I spent a lot of time in high school comparing myself to what I saw, trying to create this girl who was going to be enough for so many different people and so many different tracks and so many different things. And so I wish that I knew then, even that, that I was enough then and am enough now. I think life takes us through some of those hard times of that those same questions came up in the middle of my divorce of like, what did you do wrong? How did you get oh, here? Wow. So if you know it now and you didn't know it then, when do you think you, you learned it? Or is it just, I mean, it sounds like it's a gradual process. It's definitely a process. But I think probably in the last year and a half, because it took, again, being married and divorced and being really angry and really hurt and developing a really good relationship with my therapist to really go back and do the work and to understand that life happens sometimes. And you, we make mistakes. That doesn't make us a mistake. And that that comparison that I had been doing for so long, I didn't have to. On that note, is there is there something you've discovered that makes you happier? Target. There it is. Target makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> People ask like, oh, where's your favorite place to go? Target. Like they expect me to say like, oh, Miami, San Diego. No, no, no. It's Target. Um, <laughs> but I think really just what makes me happy is being attuned to the moment, finding those things in that moment that I could get the joy out of, even if it's, you know, driving with my car off for a while, or again, long, intimate walks down the aisles of Target. I don't really need a whole lot to be happy these days. I think for me, less really is more. But I think that in the losses that I've faced over the last couple of years, I'm so much more aware of all that I really still have that it's really, really easy for me to find something to be happy with. Yeah. Are those moments in Target with kids or without kids? Without. Okay. That's why I was just clarifying. I was just in Target. Oh my gosh. I was in Target the other day and I was like, ooh. Yeah. I don't, actually, in the other day, we were, I was there just with my wife and it was, it was actually nice. Yeah. I'm trying to tell you. They play music at Target. I didn't even realize that. I couldn't I couldn't and, calm down enough with children to realize that they play music at Target. And the days before COVID, when I could walk through Target and stop at the Starbucks and sip my coffee as I walked through Target without my children, ah, heaven must be like this. Like, it's got to be just a big Target with Starbucks randomly planted that I never have to pay for. All right. Bringing it all together. What do you think your 18-year-old self would think of your 37-year-old self? Oh, gosh. I think she would think that her clothing style has gotten so much better. And she has invested in things that her parents should have invested in as a child. Hence these million-dollar braces across the front of my teeth right now. Can, can we stop on those that real quick? Yeah. Congratulations. So I got braces later in life as well. And it was, it was weird, right? Like (laughs) I was, I was a a director position corporate. So like I had a team and I already look really young and then I walk in with braces and I'm like, oh, this isn't helping. But (laughs) I'm so glad, you know, 
year and a half or two years later, whenever they came off. And so congrats on just doing it. Thank you. Thank you so much. It definitely forces me to wear makeup when I have to do real professional things because I look a solid like 19 and a half with (laughs) no makeup. All right. I cut you off. Sorry. So no worries. So your 18 year old self likes your clothing choices and likes my clothing choices, likes the investments that I put into myself. But also I think big picture, she sees a strength that she didn't think she would ever have. I lost people and I lost material things and I lost relationships that I really probably at 18 would have thought I'd never would have been able to recover from. And so the other side of looking at me today is like, no, everything is figure outable. Like you make it. If, if you just turn the page, like there's more to the story. And so I think that that's, that's who she sees. I am a complex being who I think my younger self would be proud of. Love it. Thank you. Miranda, this has been great. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much. Really appreciate powerful stories. And, you know, thank you for all the the work you've been doing, you know, for people that, like myself, not doing social work. And and I just see how important it is and and how heavy it is. And I'm appreciative that there's there's better people than me out there that that are doing it. So thank you for that. And thanks for hanging out with us today. Oh, no problem. It was my pleasure. Thank you guys so much.